Psalm 4 0. And let's go ahead and stand, please. Psalm number 40. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is the, that man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, And thy thoughts, which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will. O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness to the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have compassed me about, mine iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I am not able to look up, they are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore my heart faileth me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me, O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a reward of their shame that say unto me, Aha, aha. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified, but I am poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinketh upon me, Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. And let's pray. Father, I pray for us your blessing this morning as we have read your word that we would understand both ourselves and you in a psalm like this. That our hope would be fixed firmly in you regardless of what happens what regardless of what is going on that our hope would be always in you and I pray this for us in Jesus name amen you may of course be seated 
Well, David, of course, is the author of this psalm. This is true of many of the psalms. And we read the inscription to the chief musician of Psalm of David because it is part of the inspired record. It is God's testament as to the man that he used to write this psalm. David is clearly argued as the author of Psalm 37, 38, 39, 40, and 41. They are Psalms of David. Psalms 37 through 40 share a common theme. They are all related to one another in one way or another, and that is that all of them address the subject of God's people waiting on God. Now this has huge ramifications, and it's not my intention to deal with that subject with this morning, but I do think we'll give some attention to it in the not-too-distant future. It is God's will for us to wait on Him. And waiting is a very unpleasant thing for us to do. It is also a very testing thing, which is one of the reasons that we must do it. Psalm 37, for instance, emphasizes the need to wait upon the Lord. And the entire psalm has God's future vindication as its viewpoint. I am waiting, and when God acts, He is going to vindicate my wait. Psalms 38 and 39 describe the emotional agony that we experience while we wait. We need something to be done. We need some form of deliverance. There is only one who can deliver us. And he has not yet chosen to do it. And this is a source of great emotional grief to us. The last plea of Psalm 38 is, Make haste to help me, O Lord my salvation. And the final plea of Psalm 39 is, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not thy peace in my tears, for I am a stranger with thee, and a sojourner as all my fathers were. O spare me, that I, re- that I may recover strength before I go hence, and be no more. Nobody likes to wait. And folks, nobody likes to wait when it appears that the delay is going to become critical. Right? That if, that if God does not intervene and intervene soon, we will be in real jeopardy. This is one of the reasons, by the way, to go off a little bit of a tangent, that praying for our country is such a critical issue. It's always been critical. But folks, if people with extremist views have their way, we will be criminalized for believing the very things that we discussed in Sunday school this morning. And our hope is not going to come from the government. It is going to come from our Creator. And we may find ourselves pointing out to Him, as David pointed out to Him so many times, that if He did not act and act in a hurry, it was going to be an emergency moment. 
But back to our text, Psalm 37, wait and wait for the Lord's vindication. Psalm 38 and Psalm 39, waiting is agonizing. Psalm 40, I waited and God heard. I waited and God heard. There is a triumphant note to the beginning of this psalm, and although this will not really constitute the outline, I would point out to you that Psalm 40, right, if we were just trying to deal with it structurally, purely from its structure, it has two broad ideas. Verses 1 through 10 are David's praise for God's deliverance from an immediate problem. I waited, and the Lord delivered me, and I want to tell you about it. But verses 11 through 17 are David's prayer for future grace. Would it not be wonderful, folks, if there was but one problem in our life? And we faced one moment of crisis and we waited on the Lord and he delivered us. And from then on, life would be smooth sailing. We spend a lot of time and energy, folks, as American Christians trying to get to the place where life is smooth sailing where we have enough money and we have enough time and we have enough resources and we're comfortable enough that we can just have smooth sailing. But it is God's design that for his people, there be pretty regular seasons of rough seas. This is what he wants. And again, you're hard-pressed to find somebody who enjoys it, but God has given to us not only understanding that this is what he does, but he has given us psalms like like number 40 to help us know how to think about them. And so rather than just deal with the two broad themes of the psalm, we'll certainly respect them. Verses 1 through 10, praising God for deliverance. Verses 11 through 17, praying for future deliverances. Let's look at them in a little more detail. The first three verses are words of personal testimony. Personal testimony. David begins by telling us that he waited, but his emphasis is not on the fact that he was waiting. It is on the fact that God responded ultimately, finally, to the waiting. And he describes for us five responses of God. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined. The idea is that he finally turned his attention to my prayer. I've been asking, I've been asking, I've been talking, I've been telling. And finally, finally he turned his attention to me. Finally, it was like it was my turn. And he listened, verse number, two, verse number one, and he heard my cry and the, the English carries the, the essence very well. The, the Hebrew is perhaps a little more specific. That he heard me with an intent to do something about it. Right? Gentlemen, is it not true that sometimes we hear our wives talking, but we're not really listening? Not that that would ever happen to me. My wife will tell you that I hang upon her every word. I just don't remember most of them. <clears throat> So the Lord heard, and it wasn't just like noise to him. He was listening so that he would know what to do. And he rescued. He brought me also up out of a horrible pit. David was in a tough situation. We have poetry here. We have metaphorical poetry. 
Right? David was in deep distress. He was in a terrible place. A dark spot. And God rescued him. That's the point. And, and it, can be, it, it is true of our salvation, but David is not writing about his salvation. He is writing about his experience in his life. That he was in a, he was in a very tight distressing place. It was like being in a pit and, and having no hope of rescue, unable to save oneself. And God pulled him out of the pit and put him on solid ground and told him how to get out and told him what to do. And he placed David on stable footing, established my goings. And he put then, in verse number three, a new song, a new song in my mouth. Now, praise is not a new song. This, this, right? I just, I don't, I, I just want to talk about this a minute. Right? A new song is not an original composition. I don't think that's the way that the Old Testament is using it. Right? The idea of the new song is, right, a, a, a song that is a response to a miraculous deliverance. God, God really did something, and now my song is fresh and new and invigorated. That kind of newness. It is a recognition, a wondering, a marveling once again at the glory and splendor of God. Something that invigorates. Not that there's not new compositions, but David didn't write a new song. That's not what he's arguing here. I'd like to, I'd like to dedicate this song to my time in the pit. I mean, if you just look at verse number 3, he put a new song in my mouth. Praise unto our God. There's nothing new about that. But there's a freshness to his praise because of the deliverance he has experienced. And for David, this transcends. And this is just something that ought to be of concern to us, folks, is that we don't just know God in an intellectual sense to know about him but to know him in a personal sense. The Lord delivered me. The Lord rescued me from the pit. So David begins with a word of testimony in verses 1 through 3, and then he extends that testimony in verses 3 through 5 to others. What David experienced is not confined to the Davids of this world. You need not, if I could put it this way, you need not read Psalm 40 simply as a spectator. Look at what God did for David, but as a participant. Notice the way he transitions there at the end of verse number 3. He hath put a new song in my mouth, praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. So there is an influence to what God did for David, but there's not an exclusivity to what God did for David. David is not saying, look at what God did for me. Don't you wish God could do something like that for you? But in fact, it is just exactly the opposite. Blessed, verse number four, is that man that maketh the Lord his trust, their confidence. Which again, folks, implies much more than simply an intellectual awareness I, and I just, I just want to stop here. I, I, right? I'm not trying to be 
nasty or unkind, but particularly to those of you who are younger, who have grown up in church, for whom this is just routine and old hat. You can have all kinds of intellectual awareness about the Bible so that you can answer things like catechism questions, who God is, how many many persons there are in the Godhead. You can have all of that intellectual knowledge but not really trust Him. And folks, saving faith is trusting faith. That's just what it is. It is a trust. And this is what David is celebrating here, that God can be trusted. And blessed are all those who trust Him. Blessed is that man, what man? Any man, not just the Davids of this world. Please never read the Psalms as if David is unique in the sense that God is only willing to work on his behalf. Blessed is the man who makes God their trust. And then he expands upon that, right? Because if you trust the Lord, there are a couple of things that you're going to have to turn away from. You're going to have to turn away from the liars. And you're going to have to turn away from the arrogant. Those who are puffed up about their own views and their own opinions and their own ways and their own agendas. So blessed is that man, verse 4, that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. There are lots of those people. When you are in the pit, you will have lots of advice as to how to handle the pit. Do you trust the Lord? David did. And David celebrates the fact that he has done many works, verse number 5, many O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works that thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are, notice now, to the plural, to us. To us. Not just to David, but to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. So here's... Right? Here's, kind of a, here's, a, here's a human being in the pit, so to speak. That's his language. Mired in the miry clay. And only hope of deliverance is supernatural intervention from God. And it's a close call. And yet, David is convinced that the Lord thinks often of his people in that situation. It's very common, folks, for us in times of trouble to think we've been abandoned or we're being ignored. But that is not the testimony of Scripture. We're being tested. We're being tried. But we're not being ignored. And God had his mind and heart set upon David more than he could think or count. And then in verses 6 through 8, David moves into the prophetic portion of the psalm. Right? Because we know, folks, that the New Testament is going to take this passage of Scripture and it is going to apply it to our Messiah, to Jesus Christ. Now, we don't know to what extent David is aware of that. But what does stand out, folks, 
is that David, probably more than any other Old Testament writer, really understands the heart of God when it comes to the law of Moses. Verse number 6, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. That's an amazing, amazingly insightful statement from a man whose life was sacrifices and offerings. For a man whose religious world was the slaying of animals at God's behest. I think that we should understand it that what David is arguing is that this is not all that God seeks. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, mine ears hast thou opened. And this is not a reference to the Levitical system of a man volunteering to be a servant having his ears drilled. Because actually it was one ear. This has reference to the fact that he is attentive. I'm listening to the Lord. You have opened my ears so that I can hear your voice, folks. This is not a natural thing. People do not, I mean, I would hope by now we have understood that from what Paul has been arguing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, that people do not naturally rise up and respond to God's words. But that God's words are just noise. Just unwanted sound to the vast majority of people. But here, my ears you have opened. In Isaiah chapter 50, this is described specifically of Jesus Christ. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned. This is a prediction about Jesus. That I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. In other words, we ask this question, folks. How was it that Jesus knew exactly what to say to everybody that he met? That was just the right thing in the right proportions with the right spirit, with the right intonation. I do that. The Father taught it to him. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God, Isaiah 50 verse 5, hath opened my ear and I was not rebellious neither turned away back. And then we have verses 7 and 8 back in Psalm number 40. Then said I, right? Mine ears that hast thou opened, burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. I'm listening. I'm, I know what you're after, right? David says the same thing in Psalm 51, that what God really desires is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Not just throwing a slab of meat on a grill. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. A prophecy about the Messiah. This is quoted in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. So David gives a testimony to what God has done for him and extends that testimony to all and ties that testimony to the work of the Messiah. That is, 
Jesus wanted to do God's will, so David wants to do God's will. And then in verses 9 and 10, David is very careful to point out that he will not simply believe this privately. David does not view his faith or his trust as a private thing. Verse number 9. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Now the gist then of verses 9 and 10, folks, is what in the New Testament we call evangelism. For David, this is done in the presence of the Jews, what he calls here the great assembly. And you can periodically read in the Old Testament about these large gatherings of God's people. And you want to remember something, folks, always, that although the Jews as a people were God's covenant people, it appears that the vast majority of individual Jews were not believers. Their entire history argues against that. This was a nation whose leadership and majority of people almost invariably, with only few times in their history, practiced ungodliness and made a beeline for idolatry. So when David stands up and testifies about the Lord, it has even a little bit different than standing up in a public New Testament church gathering where the vast majority of people are believers. This is David pointing out that he does not live his belief quietly, but that he gives testimony to the Lord for the work of his deliverance. So there's verses 1 through 10, a praise for deliverance from a specific instance, totally unknown to us. And I didn't get into, you know, we could try to go back and place this at some point in time in David's life. But he is in a, he's in a very tough spot. What he describes as a pit. And after a period of crying, God rescues him. And he is eager to listen to the Lord and eager to tell about God's greatness and eager to point out to all who will listen that if they will trust the Lord, he will work in their behalf. He thinks much of his people and often of his people. And then that brings us to verses 11 through 17. In which David, from his spiritual perception, understands that today's deliverance does not mean there won't be problems tomorrow. What David wishes in verses 11 through 13. And again, this is something that we find commonly in David. If you say to David, now, what do you want? Well, there are times when what David wants and needs is to be delivered from a particularly difficult spot. But what David wants equally is 
to have assurance of the Lord's presence more than just simply a smooth and easy situation. Verse number 11, Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. I've had lots of trouble. Peter tells us, folks, right, that we have manifold temptations. They come in bunches. They don't just come singular. They come in bunches. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me. David is aware of his own sinfulness so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Right? Just as God's thoughts towards his people cannot be counted, so as David ponders it, the weaknesses of his humanity cannot be pondered. Therefore my heart faileth me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me, O Lord. Make haste to help me. Do not withhold your tender mercies. I am rejoicing in today's deliverance. But today is not over. Preserve me in your loving kindness because there is still much trouble and I am at the center of most of it. You know, folks, it would be one thing entirely if all of our troubles were just simply external. But biblically, they are not. Biblically, we are at the center of the vast majority of our difficulties. And spiritually minded people are aware of that. They see their own role in human misery. But there are still, verse 14 and 15, many, many external enemies. It's not all one, it's not all the other. It is all in combination. Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Now this is something, folks, that perhaps David did experience in a way that we will not. David had many enemies. A man of David's situation, both in his youth when he is coming up and working in Saul's household to the day when he is the king fighting the Philistines and the Ammonites. There are lots of people who are out to get David. Let them be confounded. Let them be ashamed that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for reward of their shame that say unto me, Aha, aha. So David prays specifically for those who are his enemies. And he asks the Lord to turn them back. These kinds of requests, folks, cause problems to many people as being unloving and uncharitable to ask that way. But these are not just David's enemies, they're the Lord's. And if we know that somebody is the Lord's enemy, again, folks, it's just like some of the things we're praying about in our country. Right? It isn't just that the extreme transgender, you have to celebrate this movement, is against us. They're the Lord's enemies. It should be our prayer on the one hand that the Lord would turn them from darkness to light and save their soul. 
But if they will not repent, then there is nothing wrong with asking the Lord to, Lord to deal with them, to remove them from the pathway of righteousness, to remove them as obstacles to his will. And this is what David is pointing out here. David, look, right? David is looking around. I'm celebrating this great victory. Praise the Lord. I, I, I asked the Lord for this and he, and he delivered me and I'm, I'm thrilled and my song is new and fresh, but trouble's not over. Trouble's not over. There's lots of trouble. There's trouble within. There's trouble without. Verses 16 and 17 <clears throat> So we must always be all looking towards the Lord continually. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified, but I am poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help, my deliverer, make no tarrying. O my God. What an amazing insight, by the way, David had about himself as the king of Israel. I am poor and needy. Think about me. Help us. Always, always, folks, oriented, oriented to the Lord. So it is God's will for us that we wait, and it is God's will for us that there be trouble and strife in our life. It is just what he has for his people. And we just want it all to go away, and someday it will. But what happens now is that we wait, and then God perhaps gives a great deliverance, and we celebrate, and like reaching the crest of a wave, and then we look out and we go, there's another wave coming. And so we're back to the same thing. Lord, help, relying upon you. This is, this is, Divine instruction for us, folks. It's not just fluff for our souls. This is divine, holy perspective on the way God operates and the way we ought to respond to it and the way we can respond to that. You can, you can put your trust in the Lord even, even in the middle of a horrible pit. Let's pray.